0: if you would, in the Word of God this morning in the chapter uh, fifth chapter of 1 John. As we start to wind down the book, um, the last chapter is really important. It, it summarizes uh, the rest of the book and gives us some insight, uh, some new insights as well on... Um, The assurance that we can have as a Christian and that we can know that we are God's children and that knowing that we are God's children, the result is is confidence and boldness for the Lord. We want to be mindful of the fact that not everyone who professes to be a child of God is. And uh, this is a very serious issue, um, especially in our culture today. And so 1 John is definitely a, a book of the Bible that is meant to evaluate, to, to do a, a type of investigation into each individual's heart and to discover uh, for that individual whether or not they are truly a child of God. And, uh, and for some it will bring confidence, for others they will grow in doubt. The, the further they get into the book of First John and unpack the scriptures and see what the Lord uh, requires of a Christian or what identifies a Christian, they um, become more and more unsure of their salvation. And, uh, and that's not necessarily bad. It's not a bad thing because at the end of the day, those people can fall down on their faces before a gracious and merciful God and experience salvation, amen, which is really what it's all about. Um, I've said this before in our study, and I'll, I'll say it again, the, one of the greatest challenges to, the, um, to salvation, to the gospel, is the unwillingness to acknowledge that we need it. And to really to, to recognize our not just our sinfulness, right? Um, most of us realize that we're sinful, but to realize and acknowledge that there's nothing that we can do about our sinfulness. We all, we all, we're all fixers by nature, right? So we identify a problem, we what? We fix it, and we find a way to fix it. That's really, in, in many ways, that's what religion is. Religion is a way of fixing our problem with God, and it really destroys or distorts the true problem, which is the fact that we cannot fix our problem with God. And that is the reason why we—that uh, is the reason why we have Jesus Christ, and because uh, He fixed our problem with God the Father, didn't He? And we just come to Him in faith. We just come to Him, trusting and depending and leaning and. And uh, pleading, and we come to Him for all of the things necessary that uh, are required for us in salvation. So that, in, in a nutshell, that's what the book of 1 John is all about. Now, what I want to address this morning, we're going to look at the first five verses of chapter 5, and we're going to um, probably look at this, these verses for the next few weeks and, uh, and try to unpack some things that are in, in these verses. One of the most important things in the life of an individual as well as in the life of a Christian, is the feeling or the knowledge that you have been accepted. That you have been accepted by God. The Christian life is not as much about us accepting God as it is about Him accepting us. And and the battle that we face is to come to a a, a place in our lives where we um, believe by faith that God has accepted us into His kingdom. And it's an unmerited, undeserved unearned acceptance. It's unconditional acceptance. And when we have that piece of it down, then everything else kind of flows from that. The Christian life is not working towards favor with God, but it is working from favor with God. In, in other words, favor with God has to come first. You have to, you have to fix in your heart and in your mind that God hath placed his hand of favor in your life, that he has put his kindness towards you, on you. Once you have determined that, then serving Him and following Him and obedience to Him are just natural results of that. And so having knowing this acceptance is important. Knowing that we're chosen by God is also important. And getting this feeling, feeling is something that we experience every single day in our lives. Not, not necessarily from a spiritual perspective, but the need for it from a human perspective. The need to be accepted, the need to be approved, the need to be chosen, right? Uh, Your kids come home from um, their baseball practice and they're super excited because they have been selected, right? They have been chosen. Now, they, they don't come home with the same excitement if they have been asked to leave the team. They don't come home with the same joy, the same passion if the coach said, you're not good enough to be on the team, right? But when they experience that acceptance, when that coach says those affirming words that you've been chosen to be on the team, they come home with much joy and much excitement. I can remember back the last two years, um, two years ago specifically, when our, our daughter, our oldest daughter, received her letter from the master's college that she had been accepted. And she... You know, she took a picture of it. She put it on Facebook. She was super excited because she had heard those words that we have been accepted. We experience it when we um, take part in a, an athletic program, perhaps a play production. Maybe we're selected for a scholarship, or maybe you're competing for a job, um, and you're in an interviewing process, and you go through a lot of interviews. And, and I, I, I tell my wife this, and I've told the men in the church here, it's... I'm amazed that we went through a hundred people uh, candidating for this church and that I'm here, right? That's, that's the miracle of it all, and it's exciting. That's exciting to me that God has put his stamp of approval and his calling for me to be here. And I'm not here because of me, but I'm here because of him. It, it, this is his work, not my work. And, and, to, and to know and, and, to, and to feel and experience that you have been chosen or called to perform a task or to do a duty is is affirming, isn't it? It's encouraging. It's uplifting. Maybe it's just simply a word that you experience or hear from your mom or dad. How many of you have ever heard those words that, hey, hey, I just want you to know that I'm proud of you? That's huge, isn't it? A mom or a dad to say that to their children, to, to hear those words is so important and so valuable to those kids to, to know that, hey, mom, mom thinks well of me, or, or, or dad thinks well of me. All, all of these forms of acceptance and all of these forms, uh, if you will, of approval are important, but, but they're all temporary, aren't they? Not, not only are they all temporary, but they're most, for the most part, they're based upon our talents our abilities and our accomplishments, right? And usually when somebody says, good job, it's because, you've done a, it's because you've done a good job, right? When somebody says, hey, I'm really proud of you, there's usually some association with something that you have done that has made them proud of you. And so a lot of us, we go through life and we seek to do all of those things so that we can hear those words, right? Good job, or, or well done, or, or I'm proud of you. And that's important and significant, but there's something that's more important and more significant, and that's the acceptance that we experience. It's a spiritual acceptance. It's something that we experience at the hand of God. It's an acceptance that we experience from him. And this acceptance is different. These words of encouragement, these these thoughts of, of being chosen, this is something completely unique and completely different than What we get from this world, and if we don't grasp this, we can go through life and we can experience all of the praise that the world can give us. The Bible says that the glory of man is is fleeting, like the grass. If if you've ever mowed your grass before and you you've left the the uh, the cut the cut pieces on the top of the grass and the wind blows and and it blows it away, right? I remember back in Nebraska, it was it was nice because we lived on a, a seven acre piece of land for a, a season, and every fall, all the leaves would fall to the ground, but if you've ever been in Nebraska, what you know is you don't have to rake them up, and you don't have to get the, the blower out and blow them together, just give it in, enough time, and they will blow into your neighbor's yard, <laughs> we always knew that, they weren't going to last very long, because the the wind was going to the was blow them away, and that's the way the praise of man is, isn't it? think about it for a moment, even as children, when our, when our, parents, when our parents praise us and we feel really good, or, or we make the basketball team, or we, you know how long that lasts? What happens next year when you don't make the basketball team? Do you still get excited because you made it the year before? No. You don't, do you? It's, it's fleeting. It's empty. It's temporary. It doesn't last forever. But the acceptance that God gives us, the favor that God shows us, the, the being chosen of God, being selected by God, is something that is eternal. It's something that is spiritual. It is something that is really, really significant. And the reason why John writes what he writes is to help us to know it's really 1 John, is that book that says, hey, you have been accepted. Now, what's important in the book of 1 John is, is not just that we've been accepted, but, but John identifies those who have been accepted. It's not, a, it's, not, it's not everybody has been accepted. It would be like if I were to say to you, everyone in here this morning who is wearing a yellow shirt has won the lottery. Does that mean everybody in here has won the lottery? If I said everybody in here who's got a yellow shirt on has made the team, everybody in here who has a yellow shirt on is now a member of the church. Does that imply that everybody in here is a member of the church? Or does it actually, is there a distinction that I could go around and find those who are actually members of the church? 1 John is written in such a way not just to confirm those who are truly part of God's family, but it's, it's written to identify them. It's written so that you can say, hey, I know that I'm a part of God's family. I know beyond a shadow of a doubt. If I were to read in 1 John and it was to say all bald people are going to heaven, I'd be in. Right? Jason, we're there. <laughs> we're there. We're good. A few other guys in here are, are right there with us. The rest of you who have hair, you got, you got yours in this life. <laughs> Just kidding. You see how that there, there's an identification, though? There's a mark that's placed on everybody who is a believer that identifies them as being a child of God. All we have to do is look at what the text of Scripture says to know, am I one of God's children? And when we see what God says about us, we need to be really, really, really honest with ourselves and not flee from it. And that's, we'll look at that here in a little bit. Thus far in our study, we've learned four evidences of true Christianity. Okay? We've learned four evidences of true Christianity, and we'll look at what those are just for a brief moment in, the, in a second here. Remember that these evidences are not works of the flesh. These evidences are not things that you can do, okay? But these are evidences that are conditions of your heart. Ezekiel 36 and verse 26 says that that God will give us a new heart. He takes out our heart of stone and he puts within us a heart of flesh, or he, he takes out our hard heart and he gives us a soft heart. He takes out our rebellious heart and he gives us a humble heart, a submissive heart. He takes out our hateful heart, our, our, our bitter heart, our angry heart, and he gives us a heart of forgiveness and kindness. Does that make sense? So God takes this heart out of us. The heart is the core of who we are, right? He takes this heart out of us that is the core of who we are, and he gives us a whole new heart. We're, we're new creations in Christ Jesus, right? We become completely different when Christ takes out that old heart and gives us a new heart. And really, ultimately, as we read the Scriptures and study the Scriptures, that new heart is actually God's Spirit. It is God coming to live in us and God coming to live through us. That's what Galatians 2 and verse 20 says when Paul says, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but it is Christ who is living in us. In me, right? So it is Christ who is living in me and living through me. So the evidences that we have of this new heart are not works that you perform. It's not competing well. It's not being athletic. It's not, being, it's not, it's not doing these things, but it's a condition that is in the heart. While the sinful heart is marked by hiding, unbelief, rebellion, and hatred or anger, the new heart is as noted in the book of 1 John, is marked by repentance, faith, submission, and love. The new heart is marked by these four things. And not just these four things, but if you look at Galatians 5, the fruits of the Spirit, that's what the new heart looks like. Love, joy, peace, and you know the rest. Now, the reason why these evidences are trustworthy, Right? The reason why these evidences are trustworthy is because it requires God's presence in an individual's life for these things to be truly carried out. The reason I can trust that if these things are present in my life, if these things are being worked out in my life, I can trust that God is there is because these things that I've just mentioned to you, submission, love, faith, and repentance, they are not natural to us. They're not natural to us. They're not things that are going to happen on an everyday basis in a lost person's life. They're natural to a believer. Let me give you a couple of references to write down, and then I'll read one to you. Philippians 2, verse 12 and 13, the end of verse 12, the Bible says, Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, right? For it is God who works in you both the will and the ability to do his good pleasure. So we're to work out, but we cannot work out what has not first been worked in. In other words, God puts it within us. We're to let it come out. We're to display it, but it has to be in before it can come out. And God has to be the one that puts it there. And when God puts it there and you see it, you can know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you are You are His. You've been chosen. You have been accepted because you see God's presence in your life. You'll, you'll see this all throughout the Gospels when the Lord heals somebody. He always talks about their what? He always talks about their faith because their faith, I, listen to me, they weren't saved because they had faith. They were saved because they were identified by their, the Lord saw them as his because they had something that was not natural to them, but was supernatural in them. Galatians 5, 19 through 22, read it in your own time, but the Lord talks about the works of the flesh, and then he talks, and all the things in the works of the flesh, honestly, every one of us can identify with the works of the flesh. We know we know those things, don't we? But very few people can identify with the fruits of the Spirit, Why is that? Because they're actually fruits of the Spirit, meaning that they're his fruits, not our fruits. In order to manifest the fruit of the Spirit, you have to have the, you have to have the Spirit. Now let me say this to you. This is so important. People can manufacture something that looks like the fruit of the Spirit. And I'm not going to go into a long explanation of this, but I want you to know this. These are fruits of the Spirit, okay? When you think about a fruit, it's something that comes out what? It's something that comes out naturally. You do not have to force a fruit to grow on a tree, do you? So a fruit is something that comes out naturally. So here's the thing. When a lot of pressure is put onto your life, when the balloon is about to explode, what fruit comes out? Because what's going to come out is what's On the inside, it's what's natural. Now, going through life and having no difficulty and hardships, it's very easy to go, and it's easy to tape a bunch of oranges on an apple tree and to go out and say, hey, look at my orange tree. But you go through a trial and a heartache, and what happens very quickly is you notice that you have an apple tree. Right? Matthew chapter number 6 and 7, the Bible talks about that very thing. A good tree cannot produce bad fruit. That which is natural. A bad tree cannot produce good fruit. You've got to know the difference between that which is fruit and that which is works. Things that we make look a certain way, but they're not true about us in our heart. Matthew 19, verse 25 and 26, the Bible says, "...when the disciples heard this, they were talking to Jesus about who could be saved. They were greatly astonished, saying, "'Who then can be saved?' Jesus said to them, Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. It's a work of God, not a work of man. Now, it's important to remember that authentic Christianity, okay? I want you to think about this, and you can just kind of put your thinking caps on. I know they've already been on this, this whole time, but this is a really important statement, Okay? True, authentic Christianity is not evidenced by a desire to go to heaven. Okay? A desire to go to heaven is very natural. A desire not to go to hell is very natural. Who wants to go to hell in their right mind? Right? Who wants to go to heaven in their right mind? Does that make sense? It's nothing supernatural for somebody to want to go to heaven and for somebody not to want to go to hell. Matter of fact, you can want both of these things very, very selfishly. True? That's not an identification mark of a believer that they want to go to heaven and don't want to go to hell. It's not an identification mark that a person has a self righteous attitude, a better than everyone else attitude. It's not evidence that you have a guilty conscience that you are one of God's children. Having a guilty conscience is not an evidence that you are one of God's children. This is a misnomer of religion today. This is what is being taught that is not biblical. A lot of people live in the world today who have a guilty conscience. Does it make them saved? One of the things that you need to know about the fruits of the Spirit and the identification marks of a believer is they're consistent, they're not changing. Religious involvement is not a mark of a Christian, ceremonial participation is not a mark of a Christian. Communion, baptism, or catechism, whatever, whatever, and, and the other ones that are out there, that is not a mark of a Christian. That is not an identification. You cannot say, I know that I'm a Christian because I took the Lord's Supper. Because 1 Corinthians 11 says that there were people taking the Lord's Supper who were not Christians, right? You can't say that I'm saved because I got baptized because people are baptized who are not saved. These are not evidences of something different about you. Your spiritual, your, I'm going to just say it this way, your spiritualness, when we live in a culture of spiritualness, right, is not a sign that you're a Christian. It's not a mark. Oh, I, I feel really spiritual, so I must be a Christian. That's not what the Bible teaches. It's not an evidence. Listen, don't put your apples in that basket. And don't put your apples in a lot of baskets. They go in one basket, but it's not these baskets. They go in the basket of Jesus Christ, right? A desire to succeed, a desire to be accepted, a desire to have relationships restored a desire to have a new job, a desire to get a raise. None of these things are evidences that you are a Christian. Matter of fact, there is no human desire or human effort that is an evidence that God lives in your life. Listen, these are lies of the devil. They're distortions of the truth. They're leading people who are religious into a false assurance, a false confidence that they are saved. And no one wants to stand before God in Matthew 7 and have said to them, say to the Lord, Lord, we've done all of these things in your name. And he will say to them, I never knew you. No one wants to experience that. That is is why we have these books of the Bible so that we cannot experience that. But we're so full Of ourselves as a people and as a culture and as a world that we we miss the very truths that God has for us in His Word. I want to go to the to the text here and I want to give you some thoughts this morning, four basic thoughts, and then I'm gonna close with a a pretty extensive thought. So bear with me. This is important. These things are these things are, are this is a life changing truth. and this is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who, be, who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Now you'll notice... I'm going to get a drink here. You'll notice the title of the message is, These have been born again. These have been born again. Now this is a phrase that you'll see throughout the book of 1 John, not necessarily with the word again in there, that's added by me, but the, but the, the meaning of the word is, is there. And I'll explain that to you here in a little bit. John writes a lot about this idea of being born again. It's really something that is, is uh, not just in this epistle, but also back in his gospel letter. He writes about being born again, or another way of stating that is to being born of God. You'll see, it, you'll see it mentioned in both ways, and it means the same thing, okay? You are born again or you are born of God are interchangeable um, phrases. We want to understand that. Turn back with me to chapter number 2, 1 John chapter 2. We're going to look at the, the, the four times that this is used in this uh, passage of Scripture, specifically relating to um, the positive view of it. There are two other times in 1 John where it's viewed as a negative. It talks about those who are practicing sin or unrighteousness, that these people have not been born of God. So it's in a negative light. So it's used six times in this um, book, and it's used uh, 19 times actually in the book of John. So it's a phrase, again, that's very commonly used in in John's writings, the idea of being born of God or being being born again. I want to look at the ones here in 1 John. First of all, in verse, chapter number 2, in verse 29, just verse 28 and 29, And now little children abide in him, so that when he appears, we have confidence and not strength from him at the shame, in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of God. There it is again, right? Everyone who practices righteousness has been born of God. Chapter number 4 and verse number 7 The Bible says, "Whoever, um, verse six, we are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the Spirit of truth and the Spirit of error. Beloved, let us one let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Right? Okay, we see that same phrase again, chapter five and verse one. We read it a a moment ago that those who believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God have been born of God. And then in chapter 5 and verse number 4, it says that those who have been born of God overcome the world. All right. So there are four basic truths that I want you to get from these phrases. Number one is in, in each one of these passages of Scripture, it uses the word everyone or whoever. Okay. So the first thought is this is a universal truth. Okay. This means, the word here is, the Greek word is pos, and it, it simply implies everyone. Okay. But one unique thing about the Greek word pos is it's always defined by its surrounding, uh, surroundings. It's always defined by its context. In other words, pos doesn't mean all, as in everybody. If I were to say to you, everyone is here today, what would that mean? Would that mean that everyone in the world is here today? Or would that mean that everyone who is here today is here today? Or would that mean that everybody who comes to this church is here today? There's a lot of different meanings when you think about this word all, and the Greek word is pos. So what happens when you see this word in the New Testament, John 3.16 has it, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever, pos, Okay, so is that Everybody? because it's going to give them a promise here in a moment that they're never going to perish, right? What does he mean? Whoever believes in him. So there's the distinction is it's defined by its context. So when we see that word, everyone or all or whosoever, we need to look within the context to find out who is he talking about here? Who has the confidence that they are never going to perish and they are going to be with the Lord forever? all those who, that's the promise of John 3.16. That's the confidence that we can get from John 3.16. It's the same exact term that's used here in this context. It is whoever, whoever, everyone universally who does these things, everyone who is marked by these things, everyone who is identified these, by these things, everyone who meets these conditions is, has been, what does it say? Everyone who meets these conditions has been born of God, right? Has been born again. Now, what's important to remember is you're not born again because you meet these conditions. What's important to remember is you meet these conditions because you have been born again. These are not ways in which we enter into God's family. These are identification marks that show us as a part of God's family. I know, I am confident that I am one of God's children because these things are present in my life. Not, well, I was saved one day, many years ago, because I loved my neighbor. Do we believe that to be a a truth? We don't, do we? What's interesting about the context of Scripture here is he he has those four things. Loving, repenting, believing, and overcoming. I think that was the four. All of them are lumped together, and believing is right there in the middle. Believing is not something that we do to be born again. Believing is something that we do because we have been born again. It is the fruit of God's presence in our lives. Matter of fact, the Lord told, Paul told Timothy that it has been granted to him not only to suffer for the Lord's sake, but also to what? It has been gifted to him. It has been granted to him not only to suffer for the Lord, but also to believe in him. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, For by grace you are saved through faith. And this is not of yourselves. It is a gift from God. Not of works so that no one can boast. Here's the here we have a universal truth, a universal promise. Everyone who is marked by these things can be confident that they are God's children. Now we want to remember this as well. In this universal, in this universal truth or universal promise, these are not things that we can do. Okay? Because some people will walk away saying, okay, well, I'll just do these things and I'll be a part of God's family. No, you've got it backwards. The cart is in front of the horse, right? You have to get it in the right order. In order for you to do these things, you have to be born of God. And I don't want to get ahead of myself, but these things are based upon the mercy and the grace of God, they're based upon who we are and not necessarily what we do. They're based upon the inside and not the outside. It almost would be like doing a DNA test, right? We do a DNA test, and when that DNA test is done, we know who our parents are. True? The same thing is true spiritually. We do a DNA test. It's not a physical DNA test. It's a spiritual DNA test. It's what's mentioned in the book of 1 John and other passages of Scripture as well. We do a DNA test not to find out what we do, but listen, we do a DNA test to find out who we we are. Who we are. It doesn't matter what you do, it matters who you are. And who you are will impact what you yeah, that's right, it will impact what you do. So the idea that I can be something but not do it is, is also a heresy that's not biblical either. So this is a universal promise. It's a universal truth. Everyone who meets these requirements is a part of God's family. It's a mark. You have been marked. Honestly, folks, it is so DNA internal related that you could say to somebody, everybody in here who has brown eyes is a part. And all you have to do is find out if you have brown eyes. And you're in, right? It's exactly the same principle. These things are who we are. And because they are who we are, we know that we are God's children. Number two, first of all, it's everyone. It's a universal promise. Number two, the Bible says everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. Remember this. Number two, these are tangible evidences. These are tangible evidences. Loving your brother is a tangible evidence, and scripture says if you don't love your brother, you can't say that you love God. These are tangible things, they're real. You can feel them, you can touch them, you can see them. Repentant heart. Repentant heart leads to a repentant life, right? A repentant heart leads to a repentant life. If somebody is going to tell me I'm a repentant person, then what I want to see is. I want to see works of repentance. John the Baptist, when he was baptizing, a group of people came to him who had not shown signs of repentance, and he told them, go, show signs of repentance, show me works of repentance, and then come back to me, and I will baptize you with a baptism of repentance. Or in other words, I will identify you with repentance if you show me some signs that you are truly repentant. These are tangible things. When the Lord says that you will have a repentant heart, if you're one of my children, if you've been born again, you will have a repentant heart, he's not talking about something that's just inside of you, but he's talking about something that's actually visible about you. 1 John 5, confess your faults to, to one another. Confess your faults to one another. You say, well, Pastor John, that's just crazy. Yeah, I, I know it is, Right? It's nothing to do with an unbeliever or the flesh, but has everything to do with somebody who knows they have been forgiven. They know that they're a work in progress. They know that God is working on them, and they know that everybody around them is there for their sanctification and help, right? I don't have a problem sharing my faults and issues with people when I know that I've been forgiven. And I know that they're going to help me to get through it, right? So the heart of repentance becomes a... Life of repentance. 1 John 1 9 If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Proverbs 28, 30, 28 13 says, If we confess and forsake our sins, we will find mercy. A repentant heart leads to a repentant life. A faith filled heart leads to a faith filled life. It's visible, it's tangible. Jesus said when he was healing people that he saw their, yeah, he saw their faith. He saw it. Hebrews chapter number 11 is not about a whole bunch of spiritual, mystical things that nobody could see. They were like just guessing. But these were physical things that people were doing in their daily lives that displayed that they were people of faith. Faith. They had no fear. They were fearless people. They were focused people. They were faithful people, and they were bold people. You know what that says about somebody? That they have faith. That God is big, and they believe in him. Hebrews 11 and verse 6, without faith, it is impossible to please God. But we must believe that he... I mean, just stop. That's the end of that statement, and then it goes on to continue, but that's enough. A person of faith is one who believes that God is enough and that he is the rewarder of those who diligently seek him. We've got to believe that God is. That's not a natural thing. It is a supernatural thing. Now, it is not supernatural to call yourself a person of faith, but not to live in it at all. What is supernatural is is to tomorrow, when you face the biggest problem of your life, to walk on the water. And that water is not just a physical water, but that water is is a picture of our problems and difficulties. And Peter walked upon the water because Peter was full of what? Who was he focused on? when he fell into the water, what did Jesus call him? Oh, ye of little. You see? You see, the evidence is the things that God has put in me are gonna come out of me. And I, I wanna see those things. I want people to say, John, you're really a person of faith, aren't you? Well, if you think so, then maybe I am. A submissive heart leads to a leads to a submissive life, and I almost said wife. (laughs) Okay, but either one of them would have been true, (laughs) right? Ladies, I'm not gonna, I'm not coming after you, but I'm gonna say this to you: a submissive. Heart leads to a submissive wife. These are not my words. These are Galatians, these are Ephesians chapter number five. These are God's words. You say, Pastor Don, I just can't be a submissive wife. Yes, you can. Well, how can I be a submissive wife? Because God lives in you, right? A submissive heart leads to why do you think God gives you opportunities to be submissive? because it is a display of him in you. You know, the greatest opportunity that you have, ladies, one of the greatest opportunities that you have to reflect the Lord in your life is through submission. It's, it's biblical. I know I have everybody hate me after the sermon today, but I'm okay with that. I want to tell you the truth. Husbands, submit to God. It's really hard for a wife to submit to her husband that's not submitted to God. So don't require something of your wife that you haven't first done yourself. The submission is not just for the wife to submit to the husband, but it is for the husband to be in total submission to God. Can I get an amen from some men in here? Submit yourself to God. Then maybe your wife will have an easier time submitting herself to you. Let me tell you something, folks. When Jesus Christ demanded that wives submit to their husbands, and it's a picture of the church submitting to Christ, it was after he had done what? It's after he had died for her. Yes, there is a great command for wives to submit to their husbands, but that command is secondary. Is not secondary, but it is subsequent or whatever the word is to men submitting to their, to their God. Children, submit to your parents, right? I know we're getting down to the nitty-gritty, the rubber meets the road, but this is truth. Listen, don't call yourself a Christian if you're not willing to live like a Christian. These are the signs that God gives us. Submission is a sign that God gives us that we are the children of God. What's the difference? What's one unique thing between a lost kid and a saved kid? obedience to their parents. And that's the number one command that God gives to children is to obey your parents. A submissive heart leads to a submissive life. Employees submit to your bosses. Citizens submit to your government. You see, folks, it's not just about what we do, it's about who we are. We're not doing submission. We are submission. A submissive heart leads to a submissive life. And then, fourthly, a loving heart leads to a loving life. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave herself for it. See, it's manifested by our actions It's not just something that we can say is in my heart. Well, I just know that the Lord is in my heart. Well, all right, all right, I'll believe that, but let me see it, right? Manifest it to me. Let me see it. This is not something that's a small potatoes. This is about eternal life, right? Let me see that you have Christ living in you by how you love. And James tells us, and also 1 John tells us, if you see somebody in need, and you close your heart up to them, you know what there's a problem with? It's not a problem with their heart. It's not a problem with their need. It's not a problem with God. It's a problem with your closed heart. A loving person, a loving heart, is somebody who has a loving life. You say, well, Pastor John, that's just not who I am. Well, good. I'm, I'm honestly, I'm glad to hear that because that's Christ living through you. If it was something that you were, then it wouldn't need Christ, you wouldn't need Christ to do it through you, right? So when you say to me, that's just not who I am, okay, that's great. Because now Christ can live through you. Remember what Paul said? In our weaknesses, his strength is made perfect in our weaknesses. So you're not, he even goes on to say that I will glory in my infirmities so that the power of Christ the power of so that the power might rest upon Christ or might be in the Lord right so so your weaknesses are not an excuse to not serve the Lord they're actually an opportunity to serve the Lord a loving heart leads to a loving life sacrificial a couple things here real quick and I'm going to close and I'll, I'm going to hit these, the rest of this next week Unconditional. Is your love unconditional? Is it loving? First Corinthians 13 is a great passage to read in your own convenient time. Loving, without, loving somebody without keeping a record of all the times that they've wronged you. You say, Pastor John, that's impossible. Amen. It is impossible, but not with the Lord. Ephesians 4.32 says, Be ye kind... Uh, to one another, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ hath forgiven us. So he is not only our example, but he is our life. He is working it through us. This is how we know if we're saved. Right? I mean, honestly, sometimes, guys, ladies, it's almost like the the kid who runs out on the football field with a basketball in his hands and says, Coach, I want to play! Well, you just don't get to. Right? We don't understand sometimes that there are things that should be present in our lives that identify us. We're part of the team. Not because that we're great, but because that he is great and he is working through us. Unconditional, sacrificial love, giving love, love that is sacrificing of your time, your money, your talent, your energy, everything, you sacrifice it for loving God and loving people. I would submit to you in closing, most of us, if we were to evaluate our time, energy, money, and talent, we would have to conclude that we're more interested in me than we are in him or others. But the Lord says, listen, the way that you can know, that you can know, that you can know that you're one of my children, the way that you can know is, are these things who you are? Are they natural? Are they fruits? And if they are, by all means, by all means, thank God for what he's doing in your life and doing through you. And if they're not, folks, I pray that you would plead with God to be those things for you and to be those things in you. I'm gonna close with just an encouragement to come back next week. I know that you might not be able to, but watch us on the video or whatever, but, but to close it out, I want to give you some ways in which we can respond to these things, some important ways that we respond to these things, and how some people respond to them, and how other people respond to them, and, and how we can respond to them in the right way. So um, if you can, come back next week and be a part of that. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word and the opportunity that we have to serve you To be a part of your family, and Lord, that, that you haven't left us without those words, the well done, thou good and faithful servant, or the, the, the encouraging words of acceptance, or uh, even being chosen. Um, but Lord, you also haven't left us without some things to challenge our hearts, to, to identify us as a part of that group, that we not go through life and one day stand before you and find ourselves lacking. Lord, not lacking in a number of works, not lacking in talent, not lacking in ability or accomplishments, but but lacking your presence and your spirit and your son, Jesus Christ, in our hearts. Lord, that would be the worst day that anybody could ever experience. So I pray that you would do a work in our hearts today, that you would um, change us for your glory and uh, by your grace, and we'll give you thanks and praise for it in Christ's name. I'm